Hey everybody, welcome to the American Foundation for the Blind podcast and Form and Connect. We're so excited to have you here today. I hope everyone's having an amazing day and we've got a really special guest that we're with us today and they're all really great and I'm super excited to delve into this one because we're going to talk about some history. We're going to talk about connections, partnerships, and moving forward. But who I have with me today is the VP of Programs and Policy at the American Printing House for the Blind, Mr. Paul Schrader. Paul, how are you doing today? Hey, I am well. Thanks so much for having me on. This is going to be fun. It is totally going to be fun. We've had a lot of fun talking pre-gaming, so it's been great. Well, and I should I should say, uh, and I confused you by by giving you both my titles at because of course we're going to talk about my AFB time, uh, <laughs> but I am now at the American Printing House, and actually the department is Government and Community Affairs, but but one of these oh. days I want to I want to change it because we've got a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff that doesn't fit that anymore. So, well, sorry about that, but hey, you know we're, we're going there. So look, thanks for correcting me. I so appreciate that. <laughs> I'm so no, sorry I messed up your title. Not to worry, it's, it's my fault. I put it in your head. So. <laughs> yeah, well, let's go ahead and start there. Yes, as you know, um, we are celebrating our centennial and you've been, let's, we were talking about you, but you've been a part of that too. So let, let's talk about your journey at AFB, or if you want to start before that, wherever you want to start there, Paul. Well, I mean, I served 23 years of hard time at AFB and uh, <laughs> let's, it was, it was actually, it was a lovely journey. Um, I, I'll just quickly sort of before I was at AFB, I was with the American Council of the Blind for a couple of years. And before that, I was in Ohio doing disability work. So I, I, I sort of fell into disability advocacy as a young adult. It wasn't necessarily where I uh, thought I would be or where I expected to be in my career. And um, I fell, fell into it in Ohio. And then uh, and then it became uh, the blindness field in particular when I went to the American Council of the Blind and then um, to AFB in, in 94. Um, and it's kind of fun because Carl Augusto, I knew him a little bit in Ohio where he was at Cincinnati and uh, when I worked there and then he left to go work for AFB and then I left Ohio to come uh, work for um, ACB at, a route, at about the same time. And um, it, was fun it was funny for me, not for him because he had a hard time selling his house and uh, we in Columbus, we sold ours in a couple of days. I, I think it probably was we had a good entry level house being, you know, poor little lowly people on the chain at that point. And Carl had, you know, a McMansion or something in Cincinnati <laughs> that he couldn't unload. So um, was, every so often I'd see him and say, Carl, how are you doing on the house? So that was probably like nine months or I don't know how long it took. It took him a while, though. Oh, it's so funny you mentioned that because, Carl, we were just talking to him last week. So, yeah, <laughs> you keep going. I, my life has circ circumnavigated uh, Carl or something uh, for, for much for for my for almost my entire career and certainly in my entire career in the blindness field and and as I said I know him a little bit before Ohio so it was great fun to uh, join him more closely at AFB and and work very closely with him for a good good hunk of my time there. So when you were at AFB, can you kind of tell us a little about what you? I know policy is a big deal for you. Can you tell me why? Like, what's your passion? Oh, I, you know, I was a policy nerd. I'm, you know, I'm one of those people uh, that I just, I, I'm, I'm interested in politics. Um, I find, um, I get tired of political commercials like most people do, but it takes me a little longer because I find them interesting. And so <laughs> um, even as a kid, I, you know, I can, uh, I, I would often tell people that, you know, I was a, 
uh, a Scoop Jackson supporter in 1976, and most people are like who and why, and and I can't really give you a good answer for either one of those. Uh, well, I can tell you who he was, but I can't tell you why necessarily. But um, I've just always followed and been interested in uh, political stuff and the political world. And so I went to um, American University, which is here in Washington D.C., uh, which is where I am now or close by, and um, studied political science and international studies, and that was certainly even then obviously had had the interest in politics and the political system and what we could do. So that's been consistent. I was lucky in Ohio to get uh, connected to the governor's office. The governor at that point in the 80s had an office on disability, like was it called, uh, advocacy or something. Um, and a really interesting group of people that that I got to know uh, in in that time, and and that's really what what sealed the deal for me in policy. But when I started at AFB, actually, it was in Chicago, and it was uh, a couple of different things, including some of the early technology engagement and advocacy work that uh, that the blindness field was doing around influencing Microsoft and influencing Congress as well on on some early te uh, technology access requirements. That is awesome. So did you have a lot when you were at AFB, like being on the Hill and doing that, like advocating and really pushing that accessibility? Um, I got to do more of that at ACB. Uh, and I got really lucky at several points in my life, one of which, you know, finding finding the job in Ohio, uh, where I moved to, uh, as I put it, that at the time, I graduated American University, I'm living in Washington, had didn't have a job, was having trouble getting those entry level jobs. We're talking about the mid 80s now. Mm -hmm. And um, most of the entry-level jobs are mail sorting and, and answering letters and handwritten stuff. And I, either I didn't have a good way to explain to people how I could do that, or I really didn't have, you know, the, the tools weren't there, obviously, to make that easy. So most of those entry-level jobs were were not available, or I or I didn't have enough moxie to talk my way into them. I don't know, whatever it was, I wasn't I wasn't working. And so uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, we had met at American. She had gone back to Ohio, and I will tell people that I decided I could live more cheaply sponging off my wife in Ohio, but uh, my girlfriend in Ohio <laughs> than I could here in DC. So I moved to Ohio and, and the rest, uh, I got very fortunate. Um, one of the things I like to tell people about jobs is it, it is so critical to work with whatever network you've got. And I had a very minimal network in Ohio. I don't, I don't, I don't even, I met one or two people early on and I'm honestly not sure how, uh, but they're the ones that led me to this governor's office of advocacy for people with disabilities. And the guy who ran the office, uh, David, David T. Williams, uh, who is just a real character, wheelchair user, uh, uh, powerful advocate, good writer. Um, he, he was in the hospital, actually, when I went and interviewed, not with him, with somebody else in the office, but they said, you know, you should go meet David. And, and they said, he's in the hospital, you should go meet him there. Seriously, that's not a typical you interview. You think I should go to the hospital? <laughs> Hi, <laughs> know you. Some flowers in my resume. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know uh, I didn't bring flowers. That would have been smart. Uh, <laughs> but I went to meet him, and I think it made an impression that either I was stupid enough or I had enough moxie to go do it. And he, I, he, he, he got me hired. He let me get hired there. So he approved, approved the hiring. 
That the is the best is, hiring is story I'm ever going to hear, I think. <laughs> so, well, and there's my point, right? So part of it's network and part of it is just is uh, taking advantage of situations. Look, uh, I figured he's in the hospital. He can't go anywhere. So he's stuck with me. <laughs> he can ask security to remove me. But other than that... And so I was going to say, talk about technology and policy. So part of, you know, part of, uh, part of life is, is taking advantage of those lucky opportunities that come your way. Early on at the American Council of the Blind, people started talking to me about telecom. And what I knew about telecom was that we had moved from dial to push button phones. And I didn't know a whole lot more than that. I, I, I knew how to play games with push button phones. I was one of those kids that knew how to uh, what do they call it? Freak their way into figuring out access codes to make free long distance calls. And, you know, I think the statutes are up, so you can't prosecute me for it. But um, <laughs> I did not know what was coming down the pipe, but people started talking with me about all the, all the potential information services that were going to be available. And of course, you know, mobile phones were starting to be around. They were only in cars, they were big and ungainly, but um, there were people who had a sense of what could what could be uh, loosened up for people with disabilities. A lot of stuff had already happened in the deafness community um, with phones and TTYs, you know, telecommunications devices. Um, so early 90s, somebody came to me with this and, and I, I kind of resisted it for a while. And then I finally had the good sense to say, I, I think I can ride this. This is an interesting policy area. Um, and there was a lot of good stuff happening on in Congress working to revise and reformulate telephone telecom policy. And we managed to get some early disability language in about requiring access to telecommunications equipment and services in the 96 amendments. And so that, that for me opened up why I was interested in policy, particularly technology policy. And as I'll always hasten to tell people and anyone in the blindness world who knows me will, will back me up. Don't ask me screen reader and braille tech questions. I haven't a clue. But I can tell you about policy questions. Uh, that's so. When I say I'm a technology person, it's all about policy. It's I have zero expertise when it comes to uh, uh, the tools of the trade in blindness, or at least minimal expertise. <laughs> Wait, the policy is good because I I can't tell you about that, and I admire that very much. Thanks. <laughs> and I well, you know, were you back talking about like there's so many things about you know working um, in jobs, obviously that's, that's something we're still, you know, today really having a struggle with getting those, you know, those internship opportunities for blind and vision impaired or anyone with disabilities um, and moving and having that, that same accessible experience. Have you seen that really kind of change for the better? In some ways, yes. I marvel at uh, a lot of a lot of you young blind people today um, and all the cool things people are doing, right? I mean, there's just just a, a lot of, and a lot of it is is made possible by technology and the improvements in access and technology that have come about from, from all the great work that companies have done and individuals have done around screen readers and screen access and braille devices and, and magnification programs. Um, and so it has opened up a lot of opportunities for people to pursue things that you know have nothing to do with technology except they use the technology on their job. So that's been cool to see. Mm -hmm. Where I, th I think we're still struggling in many ways is still those entry level kinds of positions, those first rung positions that get, get a person started. Which, and, and oftentimes those positions really have everything to do with, can you show up on time? Can you do a good day's work? And can you get something done at the end of the day, right? And right. we still, I think have had trouble 
solving that problem because a lot of those jobs, whether or not we want to be straightforward about it, they do, they, they certainly are heavily benefited if you have vision. Uh, I'm not saying they require vision, but I'm saying they're, they're certainly heavily benefited. It's easier to make your case mm -hmm. to do fast food, retail, service industry stuff uh, if you've got vision. Um, it can be done, and I know people who, who do good stuff, right? But it's, I think, still harder. And um, so that, that those entry level, those first rung positions are tough to get, are, are seemingly still. And, you know, look, we know there's discrimination. We know there's a ceiling uh, that it's hard for people to get past who have disabilities. Um, we don't, I don't know that we've come up with a good name for it, but um, I heard somebody talking about the glass cliff the other day. Uh, so it's sort of a ceiling it was a it was a, a female, uh, and she was talking about the glass cliff for women that they get to a certain point, and then you know you're sort of in danger of sliding off. Um, so you know, I think we're still struggling. That's with a lot of those same issues in disability, only more so than any other group. No, I, I completely agree with you, and I think this is a good transition into, you know, um, talking about you know when we chatted, you know, a couple of days ago, you know, I was introduced to AFB when I lost my eyesight um, by, you know, as a teacher. And I thought, my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, you know, you grapple with all that and being able to, to get on career connect um, just was a, a really huge light for me to be able to talk to, you know, blind teachers and, you know, how, how am I going to do this? And, and actually knowing that, that I could have success with my, my new form disability. Can we uh, showcase to everybody how kind of like the strong relationship that we have AFB and APH have and talk a little bit about Career Connect um, and what you're doing with that? We sure can. And yes, <laughs> and yes, we do. AFB and APH <laughs> have worked closely together, I, I think, for, for as long as AFB has been around and APH has been around a little bit longer. So, uh, but I think there's been a good relationship going back to the development of the talking book record um, and the the work to get the National Library Service uh, to, to support, support uh, talking books. But um, we'll move up to the present or closer to the present. So when I was, was at AFB, we, one of the things uh, smart people, because I didn't come up with these ideas, but smart people came up with the idea of let's set up these online sites and information service areas um, for people seeking employment, for families, um, wanting to make sure they get services for their kids and for older individuals, new division loss and their, and their caregivers who want to know about independent living and independent living services. So we set up Career Connect, Family Connect and Vision Aware, respectively, and um, ran those, those programs as programs that had a similar kind of focus in a way, but didn't necessarily fully work together. Uh, certainly there was, there was cross cooperation and all that. Um, so fast forward a little bit, I'm looking at the APH uh, position back in the late mid, middle of 2020, when the gentleman who did their government affairs work was deciding to step down. And I'm, I'm realizing, oh, APH has this Connect Center, which are all these AFB programs. And so I think it, it reflects the fact that both organizations saw value in what these were. AFB was moving in some different directions and AP and, and I think identified APH as a potential source to uh, pick those up. And we have done so at, a, at the American Printing House now and have, have put them into something called the Connect Center. So we're really trying to more explicitly 
have those programs work together with each other, reflecting that, uh, you know, families have kids and young adults, uh, and those young adults are moving into transitioning careers, and people in careers are losing their vision and need to know, be aware of, hence vision aware, uh, <laughs> independent living and other opportunities. And so there's those, those, you know, there's every reason for those programs to connect to each other and be, be very seamless. And so that's, that's happening. Uh, and then I looked a little further and I see that AFB Press had moved over to the American Printing House. Uh, so a lot of the books, and I, I had the pleasure of working with the uh, AFB Press for a little while in my time and um, was delighted to, to see that APH had taken up some of that work. And then in my area itself, uh, which includes the museum at APH, uh, I saw that we have the Helen Keller archives on kind of an extended loan from the American Foundation for the Blind, where, where of course, Helen Keller worked. Uh, and it's like, wow, this it's, it's old home. Plus, there yeah. are several former uh, AFB staff who, who now work at APH. So it really was, it was almost like coming back to the family after uh, going off for, you know, a couple of years, I don't know, in prison or something. Uh, <laughs> I'm not making light of that. Uh, so uh, I, I, years away from uh, from the fold, and then I, I got invited back uh, in, and it was great fun. Uh, and so the Connect Center, I'm now happy to say, is in my area, which I'm thrilled to be reunited with my old friends, Career Connect, Family Connect, and Vision Aware, uh, and am delighted with the work that AFB did to get those started. And now we're trying to keep those moving forward and and do some some new good work with them. Well, yeah, it is so important. And I think just, you know, this time has just really flown and we're about, but just to add to that is you're right. It's, you know, we're not just siloed. I think being, and if we've not all of us, not, not just blindness and disabilities, but during COVID, we've all had to manage all of those things, right? So you've got blind parents, such as myself, have sighted children and, and, and then you've, you know, you've got to try to juggle those guys. And then, you know, my end trying to figure out their technology to support, you know, my son in school. And I think they, they all do cross over. You can't silo. Um, and then keeping up with, you know, you being very aware or, you know, moving into a place where, you know, you are losing your, your sight or your vision um, at, a, at a stage and, and people are thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I want to retire and I don't want to self-disclose this. So there's so much that that goes on. And I, I love how these programs really give that support and, and give people a place to, it, it's, you know, or for me, a place to just breathe and see that you can juggle all of this. So I, I think that's right. And the other, the other, uh, just two other things I would say, one is that it is so important to wherever somebody is in their journey with vision loss, child with, with parents involved, adults, um, career or wanting to live independently, it is so important to have information because you often are kind of on your own, um, yeah. there, especially if you're in parts of the country that are a little more rural, perhaps you may not know anyone you can talk to, or, or you may not have anyone who really can help you as a peer, um, which is, which has always been great with these sites, right. Is to have that. And I think part of, so peer is part of that, but also helping people to understand that there's a set of services you're, you're entitled to these services. And if you're not getting the services you need we, need, we need to make sure that you know how to advocate or that you have the supports you need to advocate, whether it's for individual education, for an IEP, or for an employment program and vocational rehabilitation, or for independent living services uh, from, from an agency. 
those are those are services that we're paying for as a country and you need to get them and we need more of them frankly so um yes. you know if people do nothing else after listening to this and looking at both of our organizations please do what you can to get uh congress to focus for even a nanosecond on the fact that there's the precious little support given to services for the blind i i drive my wife crazy because I'll, I'll you know we'll be we'll be talking about a military system or something and it's you know that's 35 million dollars for a missile and like that's more than the older blind program gets in a year for the entire country on one missile and you know i'm not saying we shouldn't spend the money on defense weapons but i'm saying a little bit of balance would be helpful and it's yeah. and, and it's useful for people to think about the fact that we're you know we're spending this paltry 30 million dollars for a program that serves potentially you know i don't know 7 10 million people could across the country that's not nearly enough support. Um, and I could say the same thing about education. We're very fortunate at APH to have an appropriation to support students who are blind. Uh, but if you if you you know uh, divide that out across the country and all the kids who need services is, is not nearly enough to really make classroom education uh, fully supported. So all right, I take my soapbox away. Stop. No, I'm <laughs> glad you did. That was that was that was needed. I was actually gonna ask um you know if people one more question. I know we're going a little over, but just if, you know, you talked about advocating for yourself and getting to Congress members, how, where would you direct people to go if they don't know how to reach their senators or congressmen, staff? How, where oh my would you gosh, the easiest, best place to start. And it's one of my favorite sites uh, is congress.gov, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S.gov. Everything you need to know is there. Your, your senators, your representative, easy to find, bills, uh, status of bills, explanations of things, uh, committees, uh, and understanding. It's a fun site, even if you uh, don't have quite the nerd tendencies that I do, <laughs> um, you can still find some fun information there. It is a good starting place for your advocacy efforts. And of course, um, AFB and APH are also good sites and the consumer organizations, ACB and NFB. Uh, you know, there's plenty of, of good information out there and, and organizations doing great work where if you want to get connected into something that uh, flames your passion, uh, hopefully one of our organizations is doing it for you. Oh, that Paul, thank you so incredibly much. This has been so informative and fun, and I'm going to go check out that site myself. But thank <laughs> you so much. Um, I know that we've got some questions, so we're going to bring in our fantastic um, John Mackin, who is our Manager of Public Relations at AFB, and your um, past, I believe, are you guys worked together? Yes, we we did. Does he require you to call him fantastic? Because that was what I had to do back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Paul? Good, John. Good to hear your voice. <laughs> you know, Paul. Uh, before I jump into the questions, I, I wanted to add a quick uh, footnote to what you were talking about earlier. Uh, one of the programs that uh, APH became the steward of. Uh, in addition to Vision Aware, Career Connect, Family Connect, et cetera, uh, a little bit, I mean, I considered it a bit of an unsung hero, but it was the uh, Directory of Services. Mm -hmm. I still use that to this day. Um, I can't tell you how many emails come in and they're like, you know, I, I am in Tennessee, I am in Montana, I am in fill in the blank state, you know, like what, what's around me, what's near me. And uh, I'm, I'm going to say the URL for the podcast. I believe it's uh, APHCareerConnect.org slash directory, but uh, you can go and you can search by uh, by organization. I always go by state because that's usually what 
people writing in need the you know access to information to and i think that's also just deserves a little shout out in addition to all the other great programs that you know john thanks for that plug and if you search uh aph directory of uh blindness or something i mean uh, it's easy it's relatively easy to find it that is a that is a good point um i had a, a, a office a congressional office in mississippi call and was asking for really unrelated to what I do at APH, but was asking for information for somebody in the state. And I, that's where I went, uh, is, is to help find some, some connections in Mississippi for them. Um, thanks for that plug. And yeah, we're delighted and delighted to keep that going. Cool. See, yeah, we cool. called him fantastic and look what he does. I know, that's, that's why we call him. <laughs> well, let's get to some, let's get to some questions here. Um, I'm gonna start with one because uh, Melody told me in advance that she likes it. <laughs> but Paul, what do people misunderstand about you the most? You know, that is, <laughs> that is a good question. I think what, um, what, what people misunderstand maybe about, about anyone who uh, is, is in, in the advocacy world and the policy world is, is sort of how they fit into it, right? And, and I, I would say for me, I am all about, and, and maybe people don't misunderstand this, but I am all about collaboration and connection. I had somebody call me the other day and we were talking and he said, you know, I know you're all about kumbaya and the blindness world. I'm like, you know, I kind of am, you know, Pollyanna. I had somebody else used to say I was a little bit Pollyannish, uh, Anna-ish. And um, so I think uh, it's, it's what drives me is wanting to get things solved. And sometimes that means I walk away from a, an advocacy session feeling like, you know, um, I don't know if we got as much as we could have, um, but I had to feel good about getting to, to yes with, with groups. And so I think what people misunderstand maybe about a lot of us who are in advocacy is where do we fall on the spectrum? Because there are other people who it's just all about the battle, right? They, they want to win. They want to win at all costs, and that's all that matters to them. And um, I, you know, I like winning. I'm competitive. Uh, but I also like solutions and I like when we can, when we can get to a place of, of, if, if need be a compromise where, where we can find a, find an answer. Uh, and I've had a lot of opportunities where, you know, that's just been a, it's been a challenge. Uh, and you, sometimes you come away from that feeling like, did I get enough? Did I get enough done? And, and there's really no answer to that. It's, it's often the case in the policy political world is you just never know, uh, whether, whether more could have been accomplished or whether you could have, whether you would have blown up everything and ended up with nothing at all. Right. There's that uh, cynical quote. I'm going to, I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's something about, you know, true compromise means everyone walks away unhappy. Yeah, yeah that's about right. But yeah, as long as we, uh, you know, reach a, a middle ground. Uh, I, I love that answer. Thank you. Um, so do I. Here's another good one. Uh, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose? You know who I've been just more and more interested in? Um, I don't know if we get along very well, but I really wish I could talk to Louis Braille. Um, <laughs> I do. Why because do you think you wouldn't be, get along? <laughs> well, I, I just, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> here's this crazy teenager, right? I mean, talk about a smart ass. Uh, if, if I can be a little, add a little color, you yeah. know, coming up with his own code to be able to communicate with his buddies and stuff. Uh, and then having the audacity to say, you know, yeah, this is what blind people should, this is what we should all have. That, I mean, at, at what, 16 or whatever, when, when he's doing that, I wish I had the chance to, uh, I, I wish we had more 
knowledge. I, I wish we had a different kind of a system where someone like Louis Braille would have been much more chronicled uh, than he was in his life uh, to understand who was this guy? What made him tick? What was his thing? How did he come up with this? How did he have the audacity to do that? And what else was on his mind? Because um, clearly pretty fertile imagination. I just, I mean, I love people that that uh, that kind of do that. So, I mean, that would be a blast. There's a lot of political figures that of course I think would be uh, just fun to, to talk with and uh, to understand uh, what their motivations were. But it's funny, the more, the more time I've spent at the American Printing House uh, and sort of digging into early education and, and the struggles, uh, as some of you know, uh, Braille, you know, Braille didn't just fall from the sky and get adopted by everybody. It was a battle. And uh, uh, so the more I've done, sort of looked into that, the more fascinated I am by, by just how much fun it would have been to, to get to know Louis a little bit. Uh, I don't speak French though, so that probably would have been a challenge. This is, uh, you know, because this was a, a hypothetical, I, I would also add that we, we would include a translator for this fictional conversation. Thank you. So yes. There would be no language barrier. <laughs> now I want to go read more about him. That's fascinating. That was a great biography, National Braille Press uh, uh, published uh, several I mean, years ago. If you think about it, he's like your modern day coder. I mean, it, yeah. Kidding. Yes. Good analogy. And absolutely. He would probably have a ball with coding. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? What, no. What this guy I mean, yeah, it'd be yeah. epic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that was yeah. great. Thank you for that. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, well, as Melody mentioned earlier, you were the VP of Programs and Policy at AFB, and you talked a little bit about how you were just always interested in government and public policy. So a uh, little bit of a, a curveball in a sense, but uh, if you were to switch careers and just do something else, what, what would you do? What would that be? You know, if, if, I, if I won a lottery and, and money wasn't really a consideration, I used to tell people that what I would most love in the world is to bring my favorite things together. Now, some of them are no longer relevant, but that would be uh, a, a place where there's guitars, used CDs and coffee all available. Uh, and that would be my shop, right? That would be Paul's place. Now, you know, use, I guess use CDs still could be a thing. Certainly guitars and coffee still are. Um, I love music. I just, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a great musician. There's a lot of plenty of great musicians in, in blind world. Uh, I'm not one of them, but I do really enjoy playing, listening, tracking. Um, I, you know, it, 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 during COVID, uh, a couple of neighbors and I have started playing music together and it's become a thing now. And now I spend probably more time than I should trying to track down songs. What kind of, what am I going to bring out next time? What am I, what, what kind of new stuff have I got? It's beginning to be a bit of a challenge because we figured out we've played almost 300 different songs out there. Um, you know, most of them not particularly well, but you know, Hey, it's, uh, they're getting what they're paid for. Uh, and so, <laughs> Uh, something related to music probably is where, but I will say when I started my world, um, I, it's my career, uh, I had two offers actually. I had the governor's office of advocacy for people with disabilities. And I also had an offer to work in something called the Vista program in a food bank. Uh, and I was really fascinated by food and hunger issues. Still, still am. I just think that's, that's an area that really needs way more attention than it gets. But, um, that could have been my path. I mean, I might have ended up working in, in food and hunger policy uh, as a, because it was an area of interest and that opportunity was there. And uh, I decided to take the disability side. That is awesome. I, 
I feel like I want to go to your shop with a latte. <laughs> you would be welcome to come and hang out. Uh, you know, we might convince you to learn to play a guitar if, if, you, I have, would love if you don't. To learn. Uh, yeah, no, so I don't. Go. Yeah, this is. I would also maybe, go. I would also show up for some coffee and music, no doubt. I think yes. this is going to be my my retirement project. I'm just going to go ahead and set this up, and you know, if it makes enough money that I don't go broke, that's that's probably good enough. And then I want to braille all the vintage CDs. We'll say that it'll be awesome. All right, yeah. yeah. You know, that's been one of the great things about having. You know, for a time, I worked for the company Ira, uh, the the technology smartphone access to uh, visual assistant, and. Um, uh, my wife, it does not have the patience that others do for shopping for used records. She, her thing was, we'll go into a store and if you tell me what you're looking for, I will look to see if it's there, but I am not going to browse. I'm like, oh my God, if you don't browse, there's no point in doing this. <laughs> and so having Ira was great uh, for a few times that I've gone into UCD stores because I, I could browse and it was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, fun. I love it. <laughs> But we stayed married nonetheless. So, oh, okay. you know, things can be accomplished. And browsing used music, I'm, I'm thinking more, you know, there's a used vinyl store near me that I like to frequent. But yeah, browsing, browsing used music, old records, old CDs, there, there is a particular joy there. I agree. Yeah. I mean, the, undis the thing you forgot or you discover, uh, yeah, you know that. I mean, you've, mm -hmm. you've been in there and you probably didn't even think you were looking for it and you walked out with it. It's happened more than once. I'm sure. What do you think, Melody? Time for one more or? I think we could do one more. Okay. Um, you know, I, 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 like this, uh, I like this question as a closer. It, it's um, something that I think we're going to start asking all of our guests to, to close out. But uh, I was going to ask you to recommend three books to our audience, but I'm going to say two here because you already did one, which was the uh, National Braille, Braille Press bio of Louis Braille. Yep. That's did, I get, did, I, did I get that right? Yeah, it's uh, Touch of Genius, I think, is actually the name of the book. Oh, okay. I'm getting that for sure. Give our, audience, yeah. give our audience two more book recommendations, and then we'll sign off. Well, it's in the news now, uh, but I will say that very few books I have read recently affected me more than Bad Blood, uh, the Theranos uh, story of the uh, uh, Silicon Valley uh, blood testing uh, Elizabeth is on trial. Elizabeth Holmes is on trial now for, for, for bilking investors. Um, and we'll see what happens, but the book is extraordinary. And, and I read it early on at my time at IRA, uh, in, 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 in part, it was useful for me to kind of read about venture capital world and just how absolutely nuts it can be. Um, but also to read many of the disturbing stories around people pushing, uh, their, uh, inventive mind maybe too far and uh, uh, going to the lengths. I mean, very, very few, I think, went to the lengths of, of Theranos. So that would certainly be, be one. And I think the other one, if you're a political person at all, the biographies, now there's, there's four of them and hopefully soon a fifth one of Lyndon Johnson by Robert Caro are just extraordinary. I mean, yes, Lyndon Johnson, whether you like or don't like, interesting character. But what's wonderful about these biographies is just how much history he packs into. It's a, it's a real romp through the 20th century and even a little bit earlier, uh, starting with you know, Texas and, and the challenges of, of, of that area, just agriculturally and geog geographically, and then the challenges of the 20th century politically, 
the racism, the challenges of, of, of Northern and Southern Democrats trying to figure out how to work together. It, it's a wonderful story. It's a very long read. You're talking already four volumes. And as I said, a fifth one that hasn't come out yet on his present years of, of him being actually as president. Um, the, the volume on the Senate, uh, for those of us who, who like and relish Congress, uh, which I think was number three, is, is just an extraordinary work of, of historical biography uh, and well worth the time. And it will take you some time, but it's, but it's worth it. The, the, the stories are colorful, the, the characters and the events and the policies that are talked about in that time frame. Robert Caro is a great author. I, I, uh, I recognize his name from The Power Broker. That's right, uh, which a book I haven't read, but I understand is very powerful about uh, Robert Moses, right? The very yeah. near and dear to you guys in New York. Uh, yes, yes. And, and uh, yeah, I guess with that, I, I didn't mean to, to turn around and give you a book recommendation, but if you like Robert Caro, you will devour The Power Broker. I will try to get to it. And I'm going to sneak one more, and that's called Desk 88. It's by Senator Sherrod Brown just a lovely little, uh, fairly short book of biographies uh, of senators who sat at desk 88, the one he happens to hold, started by him noticing that Robert Kennedy's initials were carved into the desk, oh, uh, wow. it, which they, which apparently a lot of senators do. And uh, that then he went back and, and did little biographies of other senators who sat at that desk. And it's just a neat, you know, it's kind of a cool device, but it's also uh, a quick read, but a very nice, a very good read about some of, uh, again, some of the movers and shakers in, in our uh, 20th century Senate. Fantastic. There you go. I'm a very political nerdy person, obviously. Yeah, Melody, uh, we're going to have to do another episode with Paul. Where yes, we, talk, we talk are. About nothing, where we talk about nothing but history books. Yes, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's what we got to do. I mean, this has been so colorful. I can keep going. But I, I thank you guys. So, Paul, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us. This has been so wonderful. I've enjoyed every bit of this. Well, I will come back anytime. You are a delightful host and that you, you get to throw John Mackin into the mix. Uh, that's just an added treasure. I know. I think, <laughs> we're, pretty, I think we're pretty fun to hang out. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is this it. is also usually where we'll uh, we'll we'll plug our guests' social media channels. I know you said you weren't super active on social media, so I'll just say to uh, check out APH on social media. I know that they are at APH for the blind is the uh, Twitter handle, and uh, their website is APH.org. Check them out. I think there's an at APH Museum as well uh, on, on on Twitter, which has a lot of good stuff. Uh, that's Facebook and and Twitter. Yes, and, and also just to add to that, um, you can visit us if you want to learn about what we're doing, our strategic direction, or see our, as, as Paul brought up, our um, digital Helen Keller archive, just to really frame out that you have that is beautiful too. So all you have to do is visit afv.org. And we thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. Paul, John, always a pleasure hanging out with you. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Take care and have a wonderful day. You bet. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.